Welcome to the Evolving Digital Self Podcast, where we explore the conscious use of technology. Listen in to hear thought leaders and other guests discuss the human relationship with technology and learning to thrive in the digital era. Hosted by the author of the international best-selling digital self-mastery series and being at work, Dr. Heidi Forbes Usta. Welcome back to the Evolving Digital Self Podcast. Today, I'm very excited to introduce to you a very old and dear friend of mine, Tim Driver, who is currently the CEO of Age Friendly Ventures. Tim has been involved in all kinds of great companies supporting baby boomers over the last several years, actually more than several years, over the last decade. And uh, I'm just so excited to have him come on board and tell us a little bit more about how technology is impacting aging and our ability to support people. Welcome, Tim. Heidi, thank you for having me. So can you tell our audience a little bit more about sort of what is Age-Friendly Ventures and what are your current projects? It's made up of three different operating divisions. So it's one company with three divisions. The first focuses on jobs for people over 50. The second is about in-home elder care where the care is actually provided by people over 50. And the third one, which recently launched, is about places to live, and it's called Age-Friendly Advisor. Very cool. And clearly, these are three of the big issues that we're really struggling from, particularly in the U.S. market today. What brought you to this place? Like, What what made you interested in this space? Well, I kind of got started with the idea because it was a business idea. Back in the late 90s, I was working at AOL and I thought, you know, someone should build sort of a monster.com for people over 50 someday. And I I I thought I'd be investing in a team of people to go do that. And then the, uh, the idea became much more of a personal passion. You know, people in my own family got sort of moved along, replaced by people much younger than them. And all of a sudden it wasn't just a business idea anymore. It was a personal passion. I said, you know, I'm going to go dive in and recruit some people from the companies I'd been at. So AOL and salary.com and monster.com, which I'd done a lot of work with. And we got started on building a career site for people over 50. That was back in 2006. And then over the years, we've added these other two divisions for a variety of reasons. Very cool. A lot of people say, I mean, when I was writing my book, Digital Self Mastery Across Generations, I was getting a lot of like, oh, aren't seniors afraid of technology? And there was, you know, sort of these, we have these biases, assuming that a lot of people over 50 aren't really comfortable with technology. And you're creating opportunities that are actually delivered through technology. How has that changed in just the time that you've been working in it? Because I mean, in the mid 90s, obviously, things have changed a lot since then. The number one question I got from people when I started retirementjobs.com was, well, gosh, nobody over 50 is using the internet, are they? You know, who's going to actually use your website? And I thought, well, you know, in time, they will. Now, I was 39 years old at the time, and I've now sort of aged into the demographic myself, if you will. But but certainly, we know at this point that people in their 50s and 60s certainly are using you know a site like retirementjobs.com. About half of our audience on that division, retirementjobs.com, is age 50 to 60, 65. The other half is sort of 65 to 75. So people are clearly, you know, as they get older, they become, they're more and more used to using the internet. We're now sort of seeing this question come up again because with our age-friendly advisor property, 
the target audience is there's sort of two audiences. One is people in their 50s and 60s who might have older parents, but then it's also the older parents themselves and their spouses. So we're sort of seeing this question come up again. But, you know, I don't know about you, but a lot of people that I know and the study, the, the work that we've done on research shows that the adoption rate of social media platforms and internet properties in general is pretty well penetrated by people even in their well into their 80s now. Absolutely. And I think that that's such an important point to put out there. And it's not just the internet, but it's also some of the great tools that we can use to support seniors and support seniors in different transitions. Do you come across a lot of those in your in your work? Or is it more just about matchmaking? And then beyond that, you let them figure out what tools are helpful? Well, one of the things that's really interesting to watch happen, and this is particularly important in our mature caregivers business, is that as much as the technology gets more sophisticated, more easy to use, more more accepted by you know people of all ages, it can never replace human beings. We have in our caregiver business, we I sort of think of it as it's a service business that's heavily enabled by technology. But at the end of the day, it's about putting people with people and encouraging socialization. On this point about socialization, I mean, it's a really, really important point. And even technology like the one we're using right now is, you know, enables people to connect at distances and address that huge issue, which is social isolation. I mean, there's all sorts of data out there that shows now that social isolation can be as bad for you as smoking a pack of cigarettes a day. And over in the UK, they've even gone to the extent of putting into the cabinet a minister of loneliness, believe it or not. And so it's it's a really big priority in all of the countries around the world, this, this social isolation topic. Absolutely. And I think the other piece that, that sort of ties into that, and I know you work a lot with this, is the whole piece of harnessing the knowledge and wisdom that older generation has. They may be in isolation, but they have so much to offer current businesses, cover just the next generation. How do you how do you get that information disseminated and to the right places where it's really going to have an impact and make them feel like they're still contributing to society? What have you seen in that space? Well, that's, that's exactly right, Heidi. I mean, there's, there's an enormous body of knowledge that is accumulated over people's lifetime. And one of the hopes that we have with Age Friendly Advisor, our new property, is that people can be sharing some of the wisdom that they've developed and gained in their later years with other people who are going through similar situations. So this could be around jobs. It could be around elder care. It could be about elder law issues. It could be about fun things like travel and exploring. So there's all sorts of different topics that we want to dive into with Age-Friendly Advisor. But essentially, it's about dipping into the crowd of, in this case, the older demographic for advice and, and sharing of information. How do you feel? I mean, I just came back from CES and there is a lot of robotics going into care for the elderly. And there's a lot of focus on, well, you know, the, the robots can be this companion and can be this guide. And and I, I know, you know, other friends that have worked in the geriatric space and in some places they're very well received, especially when they're sort of an acute character. And in some places they're actually kind of scary. 
Have you seen any of that in the space that you're working in? And what's your take on sort of robots as caregivers or or is replacing potentially replacing those opportunities for caregivers themselves? Well, I go back to the, my point that I don't think there's ever a point where the caregiver, the human caregiver is replaced. But I do think as a practical matter, because of just the sheer economics of it, I mean, caregiving is expensive. So if there are ways that technology can be used to complement what a human being does on behalf of another human being, that's actually vital. I mean, what we, we've talked for a long time in this country, in the U.S., about the looming shortage of caregivers and therefore the need to have technologies come in to, to help address those shortages. Those days have already arrived in other countries like Japan, where this, these, these shortages are enormously acute, and they are you know, dealing with that front and center right now. So I, I'm fascinated, and there are many technologies that will that have come and gone over the last 10 years, and then there's also plenty more that are really taking hold. And then there's, you know, some of the things that, that we're all using, like voice-activated technologies like Alexa, for example, are hugely popular with the older population just because of their sheer simplicity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think the voice activation is a really exciting space. I mean, you know, I'm only 50. And sometimes I struggle with the text. I'm constantly making typos. It's really much faster to do a text activated or a text dictated, you know, interaction than to sit there and stumble my way through it. So I, I can imagine arthritic thumbs and, and lack of agility could really hinder and impede the ability to get the intended outcome of a lot of the great tools that are out there. So what are some of the favorite technologies you've seen that have come out that have maybe supported seniors? I mean, obviously, there's, there's the internet and there's things like Zoom and, and whatever. But is there anything that you've seen on the horizon that really excites you? I'll tell you one that, that has come along recently that has that surprised me. Because when it first came online, it was a, someone I know quite well who developed an avatar that would show up on your screen and it would look like a dog or a cat. It was your choice as to whether it was going to be a dog or a cat. And then and it would be essentially a companion to an older person who would be in their home. And the voice of the avatar would be someone on a telephone line, actually in the Philippines. And they would be developing a relationship with the care recipient. Mm -hmm. And when you saw this on the screen, you thought, gosh, that will never work. And frankly, for the first five years, it didn't, but they kept at it and they kept at it. And this technology just won a big prize in Massachusetts. It was a, it was a bunch of MIT alums and they, they're going in a much bigger way now. And they've gotten to the point where these avatars are becoming real companions with the care recipients and the care recipients truly miss them when they're not in their life. And, and this is to address people with early stage dementia and things of that nature. And you can think about, you know, how well that can scale, because this is the, mm -hmm. this is the problem we all have is how do you take a problem this big and create a scalable solution? And that was, is one of my favorite examples of something that, you know, at first blush, you, I think most people were sort of like, gosh, how could that ever be received? But, but the, the evidence is there now. 
Well, absolutely. And I think to your point, there's, you know, one of the things that I loved about being at CES is seeing some of this stuff that feels way out there, but it's like, that's where we're going. That's the possibility. And right now, it may not it may not integrate very well into our current ecosystem and and just society in general. But, you know, when we can get to a point of the patients where we can tolerate sort of these different things and we can adjust and it fits harmoniously, wow, what an asset that will be to us as humans to be able to do certain things in a different way. You know, I mean, some of them are really way out there, but certainly if you're jumping into a flying car, it doesn't feel like that's going to work very well in a Boston traffic jam. But when you get these things to a certain level where they're really functioning well within the existing ecosystem, or we've created a new ecosystem that they can interact with, they're perceived totally differently. And then all of a sudden you really get the advantage out of them that was intended. So it's a good thing we've got some really out there thinkers. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, it's, it's fun. It really is fun to see the innovation because it's, it's fast moving as, as you know. Yeah, no, it it definitely is. So tell us a little bit more. You've got three different sort of main companies that you're doing under age-friendly ventures. Which ones of those do you see more integration into sort of the current ecosystem? And what are some that that maybe are, you know, you're having to fight that friction of change? So, for example, we obviously saw some major downturn in the economy where all of a sudden we have a lot of 65-year-olds who thought they were already retired or going to retire and then all of a sudden had no savings. That obviously changed the way that they had to think about their future, and made them look at different things. Are there other things that have influenced that for you and have influenced the way that you have designed or developed your businesses? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. I think the, the, the sort of bigger vision here is that if we do our job right, the hope that I have is that we can help people find work, help people find a place to live where that work is, and give people care when they need it. And so all of these things are interacting with each other. They're different brand names, but it's one big database underneath it. So it used to be, as a business, a little disappointing when we found somebody a job because all of a sudden they were done and they didn't need our services any longer. And then we sort of added the other divisions with the idea that we could you know, help them in other ways down the line. But back to the point you made about, you know, people getting older and having difficulty, you know, navigating that change in their life. It's absolutely true. I mean, the the, the difficulties become acute. It starts to happen around age 50 and um, or maybe even earlier than that. And, you know, people get seen in a little bit different way by employers. And, you know, some of those reasons are justified. Most of them are not. And so we've committed ourselves and you know, we've been a very mission-driven company from the beginning, but we've committed ourselves to, you know, helping to make the business case for the older job seeker and and let employers see the business benefits of taking that leap, if you will, and hiring an older, more mature worker. And so what's tended to happen, you know, is that the companies that have really done their homework on topics like turnover rates have kind of figured out and we've helped them figure out that you know if you want to lower your turnover rate the odds are you should hire somebody older because the data just shows that people over 50 turn over at one third 
the rate of people under 50. Hmm. And that addresses a big problem. Turnover is very costly, but turnover is also can be, you know, low turnover can be, can have a huge benefit to companies' customer satisfaction. So it's a, it's a very, very fascinating topic if you dig into the details of it. But, but unfortunately, the reality is age discrimination is out there and it's, uh, it can be tough to battle against. So we've, we've taken that on as a big part of our, our company's mission. I would imagine, but I, you know, I think the advantage you see, like with the internet, is because you have certain sense of anonymity. If you're a, I mean, in my case, I'm a digital nomad. I do most of my work over over the internet. So whether it's through a Zoom call when I'm working with my clients in France, or whether it's, uh, you know, meeting up in a, you know, in a in a virtual classroom where I'm teaching a group that's dispersed around the globe. These different environments are possible that I could actually be teaching through an avatar. They don't even have to see me. They don't know how old I am, or they can tell by my voice that I'm a woman. But beyond that, the biases are different. It's more based on what you have to offer rather than those biases. And, but you still have to have a certain level of technical expertise to be able to accomplish that. In the work that you're doing, do you find some of your clients willing to sort of take that leap to engage and sort of, you know, not play the age card, but say, hey, I'm neutral. I just, here I am with my expertise and I can work, you know, virtually. You don't need to know because of course they're not supposed to ask, but in some countries they do. But can they get away with that? Or are most of the jobs that you're doing face-to-face where they, you know? You know, one of the most popular jobs on retirementjobs.com is tutoring, Mm. online tutoring. And um, we have, you know, companies, for example, that recruit older tutors, Mm -hmm. provide tutoring on all sorts of topics. And sometimes those are people, you know, the the students are in the U.S. and sometimes they're actually overseas. And that's a very, very popular job because it's part-time, it's flexible, and helping kids is always uh, something that feels a little bit rewarding, too. Mm -hmm. So, you know, a lot of the retirement jobs that we offer that do well tend to meet those kinds of criteria. Other things that are sort of practical too, like a job like a bank teller, let's say, or a retail job, you have to be on your feet all day long. But if you're a a tutor or you're a caregiver or you're a customer service person, you tend to have a little bit more flexibility, but also, and you can be part-time, but you can also be sitting down, which as a practical matter can can mean something. Mm -hmm. But I want to touch on something you said, which is about just you know, using technology. It's really, really important that older job seekers become adept and just very familiar with some of the technologies like the one we're using right now. These are these should be extraordinarily familiar to you. And and you should be maintaining the same kind of online presence that a younger person would. So for example, if you're not on LinkedIn, you don't exist. Mm. If you're not familiar with a technology like Zoom, then quite honestly, you're not doing your job of being a good job seeker. So these are things that you really do have to catch up on if you're not already there. And then it becomes a question, you know, once you get to the interview stage of persuading the person who's hiring you, who could be 20 years younger than you, that you don't want their job or you don't know everything and can't be taught new things. You you have to sort of use regular language and then body language and all the right ways of sort of persuading that you're not going to 
you know, be a negative as an older uh, job candidate. So is the next market for you to do training in technology, the, the optimal technologies? I'm thinking about one of my recent interviews that we did was with Mo Abbas from Gen M, which is a, it's an online matchmaking for digital marketers for companies like yours and mine that need a, an intern, but it's not, they don't set it up as an intern. It's more like an apprenticeship. So you're learning on the job training for digital marketing. But part of their system is they have training courses for, so you can learn Canva and you can learn Zoom and you can learn uh, all of these different tools so that each one of them, you get a badge. And so you get certification saying, you know how to do this. And it makes you more appealing to the the companies that are looking for assistance. I would think that might be an interesting tool for your population, although the delivery mechanism that they use for their training is really positioned towards Gen M. So it, everything's on the phone, it's sort of the swiping. And so the delivery mechanism, I would imagine for the baby boomer demographic might be, you might have to look at how do you adapt that to someone that's not used to the swipe? Oh, what's the name of that dating app? The Tinder. Okay. You know, they're all used to Tinder, Tinder motion. <laughs> I'd love to learn more about that organization. I mean, I don't, we have sort of over the years not taken on training ourselves, but looked for partners in that space. And I'd like to, I'd love to know more about this one that you've just brought up. And by the way, if, if an older person isn't as, you know, used to using that swiping approach that you were talking about, they should learn, you know. Yes. But, um, but yeah, I'd like to get connected with them. Yeah, well, happy to make the connection. But you should listen to the interview. I think you'd really enjoy it. Their, their whole philosophy, I think, is really, really exciting. And it's one of those sort of win-win for everybody. You know, the, the smaller business gets the support that they need and they mentor the, you know, the up-and-coming, you know, a lot of them are MBA students, and they could be from Afghanistan or from Canada. It's a Canada-based organization. They're from all over the place. I mean, I've had interns. My current intern, I think, is from India. She's got an MBA, and but she doesn't have any practical experience, and so she needs something on her resume. I can give her the recommendation, and I get a little bit of work done. Works that's well. great. Yeah. Love it. Anyway, I think that's something that's very exciting to me is to see there's different opportunities for collaboration with different companies that are doing exciting things online. And it helps you connect to service providers to a new potential audiences as well. Are you currently working just in the US or do you have other markets? So it depends on which division we're talking about. With retirementjobs.com, it's a U.S. audience, and mm-hmm. we're going to be adding Canada this year. With mature caregivers, we've attracted candidates from all over the U.S., but we only operate our service in New York and Boston, and we refer our surplus candidates out to other partners mm-hmm. who do home care in other places. So if someone was looking for home care in San Francisco, they might hire one of our candidates, but the service provider might be another agency like Home Instead Senior Care, for example. Mm-hmm. And then with the new one, Age Friendly Advisor, one of the things that's really exciting to me is that this is an international platform. So we're right now, as we speak, we're in the US, but we're adding the UK in the first quarter of this year. So we're just working out the GDPR stuff, and then it'll be launched in London and um, other cities around the UK. And, and it's actually a ton of activity going on in the aging space in the UK. Yeah. And uh, so that's one of the reasons that we're 
you know, so excited to get over there and take some of the programs that we've developed here in the U.S. and turn them on in the U.K. Like the program, our sort of original program was a program for certifying what we call age-friendly employers. Mm -hmm. And it's a vetting system that we came up with to, you know, sort of help the older job seeker navigate around age bias and go apply to companies that are more likely to hire them. And so that program has been widely endorsed here in the U.S. by the U.S. Senate Aging Committee and by AARP. And it got us invited to the White House some years ago to talk with some policymakers there. And so recently, we've been talking with some policymakers in the U.K., and they're interested to to bring our program there. Congratulations. I'm very excited for you. When I was doing my dissertation work, part of took some coursework around positive aging and sort of aging 2.0 and where are we going there? And I remember thinking of you back then and sort of, you know, you were right on track with some of that stuff and the, and just trying to keep aging a positive experience. I mean, we're living longer. Let's harness that, that energy to, to keep connecting with the world and being a, a positive contribution to society and and not just for society's sake, but for our own sake, because it keeps us healthy and connected and, and keeps us from getting lonely, like you were saying. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's really great. Well, I commend you on your work. And before we uh, sign off, I want to do a little self-promotion plug. My new book, Digital Self-Mastery Across Generations, just came out in hardcover and paperback. Don't forget to go out and get yourself a copy. It talks a lot about how we manage our relationship with technology to make it a more harmonious one so we can be more effective and connected with the world. And uh, looking at it, how, how we relate to it differently in different profiles. And some of that is impacted by aging, but more by life stage. So if you're curious about that, it's available at all online retailers, or you can go to your local bookstore and ask for it and they can order it for you. Anyway, little shameless self-promotion. Got to have a little bit of that on my podcast. Why not? Because it does support the podcast and it keeps us going live so we can do more shows and more great interviews with people like Tim. So before we sign out with Tim, do you have any final words or anything that you want to share with our audience? Tell us where we can find you, all of that stuff, so people can learn more about your work. Sure. So there's three websites, retirementjobs.com, maturecaregivers.com. And then agefriendly is the is the web address for the new one, agefriendly.com. So that's where to find us. And um, we're always interested in feedback. And in particular, on the new one, we really want reviews. This is a website that we compare to TripAdvisor, but it's about places to live in your later years. So if you have an opinion about your current place and its welcomingness to older people, please go ahead and share it. And others can benefit from that. Awesome. Well, I mean, like you, I'm part of the sandwich generation, and I think there's a lot of us that would really re- appreciate that resource, whether it's for ourselves or for our parents. Uh, so I think, you know, thank you very much for creating such a, a valuable resource. And thank you for sharing your time today. It was really fun to see you again and to connect, hear about all yeah. the amazing work you're doing. So I want to just say, uh, you know, I honor and respect you and thank you. Thank you very much. It's really been a pleasure to be here. And, you know, I would love to promote your book on on the websites too. So uh, all, uh, all in on that. 
Fabulous. Well, thank you. And for those digital selfers that have stayed with us today, thank you for sharing your time with us. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any of the great upcoming episodes of Evolving Digital Self. We're having great conversations this year, this season about digital well-being and ethics and more to come. Thank you so much and bye-bye for now. Thank you for joining us for the Evolving Digital Self. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app now so that you don't miss a single episode. While you're at it, please give us a rating and a review and join the digital self-mastery movement to create more conscious use of technology by sharing it and telling your friends. Want to see where you fit on the digital self-spectrum and how it might be impacting your business and relationships? Get your free copy of Digital Self-Mastery today by clicking on the link in the show notes.